This week's episode is brought to you with the support of Bureau Veritas. At Bureau Veritas, each and every one of us is by your side to help you navigate your decarbonisation journey and shape a better maritime world. This is Green Seas, the podcast by Tradewinds about the environment and the business of the ocean. I'm Eric Priante Martin, and today we've got a double header. We're going to talk about a shipping giant's newly validated climate targets and one company's unique approach to capturing carbon from vessels. Danish shipping giant AP Moller Maersk made headlines in recent months by putting the first methanol-fueled container ship on the water, heralding a new push into powering its vessels, at least the newly built ones, with green fuels. But as it released its annual report recently, that wasn't the main event. This is Chief Executive Vincent Clerk, briefing analysts about the company's annual results and guidance for the rest of the current year that was gloomier than investors hoped. We go into 2024 with a significant supply-side challenge in shipping. We spoke about it in November 23, and that remains unchanged. The Red Sea disruption is absorbing some of the overcapacity temporarily. However, the structural imbalance will catch up during 2024 and exacerbate over time, irrespective of whether the situation in the Red Sea endures or resolves itself. What wasn't mentioned in that earnings call was the latest decarbonization achievement by Maersk. It had become the first shipping company to have its targets validated by the Science-Based Targets Initiative, or SBTI. Environmental groups have applauded Maersk's announcement that its greenhouse gas targets, including its goal to hit net zero by 2040, have earned what is considered a gold standard for climate targets. But that doesn't mean the NGOs have given Maersk an A grade. To figure out the nuances of how environmental campaigners see Maersk's climate goals, I spoke to leaders of Ship at Zero, an effort led by Pacific Environment and Stand.Earth to persuade major retail brands that are container shipping companies' customers to move their cargoes using green fuels. But first, here's how the Science-Based Targets Initiative works. The nonprofit effort validates companies' climate targets against the Paris Agreement's aim to halt global temperature rises at 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels. And it requires more ambition than meeting the goals of the International Maritime Organization, which is aiming for net zero by around 2050. For members of Ship at Zero, the thumbs up for Maersk from SBTI is meaningful. This is Jim Ace, a senior campaigner at NGO Stand.Earth. This is a first for a carrier and a breakthrough. I mean, this is this is great news, right? So let's be very clear about Maersk leadership. Uh, and we saw this in our report card from last year that uh, Maersk was very clearly a leader head and shoulders above its competition. By the way, Maersk got a B grade on that Ship at Zero report card, better than any other container shipping company. Grace Healy is Interim Senior Director for Pacific Environment's Climate Campaign. I think it matters a lot. I think it's really important that we see these corporations, these large companies who have so much power um, really take bold action, even ahead of you know what we're seeing come out of regulatory bodies. Um, so I think just from that perspective, it's really important that corporations are taking steps, are acting as leaders and are not waiting um, to be sort of regulated into taking these steps. 
Maersk is gearing up to have a fleet of 18 methanol-powered ships by the end of 2025, out of a total of 25 vessels that it's ordered. And it has made major strides in signing up for green methanol, the more sustainable version of that fuel, to power its vessels. But the Ship at Zero team wants Maersk to do more. ACE said it can do that by putting its ships on a path to net zero by 2030 rather than 2040. And as Maersk focuses on building new ships, Pacific Environment put into its large fleet of vessels that the company already operates. That's really what we're looking for, is, is not only looking to the new builds, which we know Maersk is, is you know, also leading on, but really setting some specific benchmarks around how they're going to retrofit the many ships that they already have um, on the water. Maersk is working on a pilot project to retrofit one of its vessels to run on methanol, and it's planning for that to be a model for more. For Healy, while green methanol is a great transitional fuel, it's not the only thing shipping companies should be looking at, and it's not the end game. Our position is electrify everything that can be electrified, and then from there, start to look towards hydrogen-based fuels with a strong preference for ultimately, you know, green hydrogen in a fuel cell, because that is truly zero emission. And the push for more ambitious action from shipping is not just about climate change. Again, we're, we're so thrilled to see Maersk taking this huge step and really be a leader, but Eric, as you know, you know, if shipping were a country, it would be the world's sixth largest polluter. Like this, this is such a large but often overlooked issue. Um, and really, those shipping pollution impacts, they don't, they're not out at sea. They are, but they're also very much in the port communities um, where those ships are, you know, offloading their goods or onloading goods. Um, and so often, particularly in the US, those port communities are often low income and communities of color. Um, and we really think that corporations owe it to those communities to take bold action beyond just looking at climate impacts, but really looking at the public health impacts and not wasting a single moment um, before they really look to implement zero emission pathways. But let's not forget that Maersk is far ahead of other liner operators. We'll be watching Maersk, but also its competitors. I mean, Maersk has the bar, and really now it's up to its competitors to up their game. And we've we've been we're we're eager to engage uh, with those companies to to figure out work with them on what's next. Because uh, as you know, this is a big year. The next couple of years are very big years for the climate, uh, and it's always been big years for these communities. So uh, we're eager to to see a lot of progress in the coming year. Now, we're going to turn to another topic in the effort to tackle shipping's greenhouse gas footprint. Gregwin's technology editor, Craig Eason, takes it from here. The UK government has, over the last four years, been funding a range of decarbonisation projects, projects which also support British cleantech startups with solutions for the maritime sector. It's the Clean Maritime Demonstration Competition, or CMDC. And amongst the projects examining wind propulsion, electrification and future fuel supply and use is one which is looking at capturing the carbon dioxide emissions that come out of a ship when its engines are running. The company is London-based Seabound, launched only two years ago by co-founders Alicia Fredrickson and Ryu Ha Wen. Fredrickson is no stranger to the push to decarbonise shipping. She was previously helping her father develop a company in Sweden called Liquid Wind, which is focused on making green methanol bunkers for shipping. Seabound was started about two years ago now. 
to focus on developing onboard carbon capture equipment for the shipping industry. And we had already done a series of trials on land with our technology to iteratively de-risk it. So we did lab-based prototyping and testing and then kind of larger scale workshop testing. And then once we'd seen promising results with our, with our latest prototype here in London, we wanted to test it out in the real world to see how it would fare with the marine engine. So we started speaking to many owners, Lomar included, um, and came across around the same time the Clean Maritime Demonstration Competition from the UK government, which is, as you know, one of a series of funding calls for the government to support maritime decarbonization in the UK. So we jointly applied for CMDC round three with Lomar, and together we secured funding. And it's actually for a two-stage pilot project. So we've completed the first stage now, which was sort of initial relatively small-scale um, carbon capture system, given the size of the ship that we installed it on. And then the next stage will actually be the first commercial scale version of our system. Um, so that so we still have ongoing funding from CNBC to do the next round. Seabound's not the only startup or project looking at marinizing the concept of carbon capture just so we can work on a ship. But while most of the other projects and companies, and I know about 10, focus on using an amine liquid to spray through the ship exhaust fumes to catch that CO2, Seabound is different. It is based on the chemical fact that calcium oxide, also called caustic soda, changes into limestone, chemically known as calcium carbonate, when in contact with carbon dioxide. That first stage of the CMDC project was undertaken on a low-mar shipping vessel, the Sunian Trader. It's a Liberian-flagged box ship built in 2003 and was due for a regular dry docking last year. So, as it's Lomar's technology investment group, Lomar Labs, which is backing the Seabound projects, Alicia and the Seabound team headed off to the yard in Turkey with their prototype and prepared to, to install and test their idea in the real world. Our goal since starting Seabound has been to demonstrate our technology or to develop and demonstrate our technology as quickly as possible. And so that's actually why we put what was a prototype onto a, a container ship. And you can almost think of it as using the, the vessel as a ship-shaped lab. So it was really about testing it in the real world, um, but not necessarily about designing the first commercial scale version and, and putting it out there. We want to sort of like de-risk it iteratively. Um, so we spent several weeks actually based at a shipyard uh, called Setine in Yalova to be able to conduct the installation together with the with the shipyard workers as well. So it's pretty intense kind of working in that environment every day. Um, I think one of the things we took away from it was just underscoring the importance of modularity. I think it's something you hear people talk about a lot in the industry. It's something that's already been on our minds, but given the challenges of building and installing new equipment at a yard, I think it was further emphasized how important that'll be for our next design. So that was one of the key pieces that we took away. After testing, the prototype was taken off of the container ship and most of it shipped back to the warehouse in London as Seabound prepare for the second stage. Now, while Alicia told me the trials went well, I wanted to ask her also about the use of the calcium oxide pebbles, which the carbon dioxide binds onto, hence the company name, I suppose. Now, clearly, the system would only be able to remove as much CO2 as there are unreacted pebbles available on board. Once they are used, the remaining engine exhaust has to be emitted out into the atmosphere just as it is doing today. In terms of the storage capacity, I think it, it's the same challenge with any type of storage tank. 
on board a vessel, right? So you've, you've got a tank for a particular size, whether it be pure CO2 or CO2 in the form of calcium carbonate. Um, so it's just really about mapping out, yeah, how large of a storage tank or how many storage tanks do you need on board a vessel given the, the route. And in terms of the, the types of routes, it's certainly easier for us to start with fixed predictable routes because we know where to set up that supply chain essentially because seabound takes care of the calcium oxide supply and the calcium carbonate collection um, however given that we can just off offload it and sell it as calcium carbonate we actually are a bit more flexible than pure co2 solutions, which is where we think even tramp voyages could be possible in the future. Alicia told me that the pebbles can either be used in other industries because limestone is a sellable commodity, but also the pebbles can be treated, extracting the CO2 for either further use or for sequestering, and then the reformed caustic soda pebbles sent back to the ship for use. But as a two-year-old company with only one prototype model with which it's done tests so far, Seabound clearly has a long way to go to reach commercialisation and market maturity. Even the regulations are not yet fully in place amongst international regulators, but there's no doubt that there's interest, especially given the environmental regulation roadmap that shipping is facing. But will Seabound be able to bring its idea to maturity? Very fortunately, it's not something that keeps me up at night because I think our systems are definitely not as expensive as some of the challenges that, that other startups might face where you're building a battery factory or you are standing up an electrofuel plant or, um, you know, we're building systems that are relatively small, relatively inexpensive compared to really large scale projects like that. And so, you know, as we think about raising our next round of funding, which will be our Series A, we can budget for the initial few systems um, in, in our upcoming fundraise budget so that we have enough buffer to play with from a cash flow perspective. Um, but we don't need to be budgeting for building, you know, factories. So I think that's where this is a relatively sort of cash light business as far as hardware businesses go uh, from, yeah, and we're very fortunate for that. Read more about sustainability and shipping at tradewindsnews.com slash sustainability. Music for this episode is by Crystal Squad on Toontank. 